Your mic's behind you. <laughs> well, y'all, thank you. You're such a quiet little bunch tonight. Everybody just kind of wandered in. How bad is it raining? Is it like not? Oh, okay. We had one of those moments on this roof back when Andrea and I were trying to straighten out slides. We had an issue with slides, and, and I mean, all of a sudden, it just started coming down. I thought, oh, here we go. So, okay. I guess it's supposed to be Friday. Is that supposed to be the big day for rain, right? Okay. Just noticed I had some, um, some tiles missing on my roof, <laughs> which hasn't been a big deal through all this long, hot summer. But yeah, yeah I'm thinking I, think I need to send the kids up there with some baggies. <laughs> so, <laughs> you want to pray us in? Let's do it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you that you've allowed this group to gather together and carve out this time to give back to you. So, Father, we really ask that your spirit would be in this place to nudge us and to remind us and to teach us and to rebuke us and to hug us. Father, I pray tonight that you would reveal some stuff from your word and that being here tonight would matter and that we would leave better spouses better women, better men, better moms and dads. <clears throat> so, Father, we just give you these next few minutes, and we just pray that your spirit would saturate everything that's said and done. In Jesus' name, amen. Conflict management. So fun. <laughs> yeah, it is. Good times. Yeah. Good times. <laughs> Conflict management. Uh, Jimmy's going to handle a, a lot of different areas tonight that are going to be amazing because this is what he gets to sit Please. and do actively all day long. Yes, yes is uh, manage conflict mm -hmm. between people. Really, at the end of the day, you manage conflict. Yep. But I did want to make a mention of a couple of different tools that Mike and I have found somewhat helpful. Because Mike and I, as I've told y'all, I know that Jimmy and Beth have the perfect marriage, mm -hmm. and Mike and I... Um, are working on getting to the perfect marriage. But there's been a lot of sass and a lot of spice and a lot of um, vigorous conversation mm -hmm. at times through the years. And one of the time when Mike and I had been married about, I don't know, four or five years, we started having the same argument that we always have. Do you guys have like a menu that you, you choose from? Uh, tonight I'll have the argument about time being spent at work and distractedness with a side of bitterness. Is that good? <laughs> Yeah, and, and you're going to have the, oh, oh he's going to have the neediness talk, and the, um, yeah, this should be good. And so we found ourselves having the same argument over and over and over. And one evening as we were having that same argument over and over and over, Mike said, hang on, hang on, I just, I just want to try something. And he went and got a yellow legal pad and a pen, at which point I completely exploded. I thought, why on earth are you having to, you're going you're gonna to write down, like, how could you just not know in your heart of hearts what I need? Why are we having to have these conversations anyway? But after I exploded, we decided, okay, fine. And we actually did sit down with a yellow legal pad. And can I tell you, for Mike to process and write down, okay, so you're saying that if I would do this, it would help you feel that. This action right here would help with that. Yes, okay, he wrote it down. Moved on to the second category. So you're saying if, if this, if I could do this or say this, that would really help resolve that for you. Yes. It was one of the most unromantic fights we ever had, mm -hmm. you know, because it just wasn't, it didn't have that, I don't know, that Italian feel of just back and forth. Yeah, it didn't have a certain genesis well. Had a bit of an engineering feel. But allowing the yellow legal pad to come sit on the table ended up being a really powerful experience. 
because for whatever reason, Mike was able to really process some of the conflict that we've been having for quite a while. And he actually was able to develop for himself action steps. He's a guy who's a business person. And all of a sudden, he was able to sit down and not in a cold or unloving way, but access the skills that he was using all the time with clients and, and with all those and actually use those kinds of skills to talk through some places where we had hit some brick walls over and over and over. Now, for me, it didn't feel real romantic. And for me, at first, I was really livid that it would even require a yellow legal pad. But through the years, that yellow legal pad has become a very powerful thing because people process differently. And Jimmy's going to talk about some really core tools, but I just wanted to mention the yellow legal pad because it's been a place for us. I'm not saying you have to go through the yellow legal pad, but I'm saying there can be things that are tools that if the whole point is to really come to resolution, and as best we can, isn't that really a great goal? To come to some kind of resolution then for us, the Yellow Legal Pad has been a really powerful tool to sit down and really be specific about what we're wanting and where we want to get to. Another thing that I think is very helpful to think about as you're considering what Jimmy says tonight, you know, Mike and I, I think I've told y'all that we, we got engaged a, a few times. Um, and our pre-marriage counselor was uh, not dazzled. <laughs> she was a little, I don't know why, she was very concerned. Um, but she also wanted Mike to date her daughter. So I felt like there were ulterior motives involved because I'm perceptive like yes. that. Yes, I'm very perceptive. But because we had been through a, an engagement breakup and because we had patched it all back together pretty quickly and then we had gone to get married and then we went on to have a baby and, and just things kind of schooled really fast, we began to find about year three that I really wanted to discuss that breakup. I really wanted to talk about it. And Mike really did not want to talk about it. He had his reasons for what he did. They were logical reasons. They were not unkind or cruel reasons for breaking off the engagement when he did. And I was sort of in this really crazy loop where I really kept wanting to talk about it. And finally, I began to unpack that what I really wanted was I had had a very, this has been a huge experience <coughs> for me. It was a massive experience for me for that engagement to be broken for a period of time. I needed Mike to come into my world a little bit on what that was like for me. I understood what he had done and why. But we kept hitting that conversation over and over and over. And finally one day, we had this pretty amazing breakthrough because it finally dawned on me. I said, Mike, I think I just need to make sure you understand what my experience was and talked it through. And it really released a conflict that we had continued to rotate on because it finally felt like he had come into my experience. That we hadn't really shared that experience. He'd had a very specific experience for him. I had a very specific experience. So sometimes I think if you're finding the same conflict rotating, now sometimes we just bring up the same stuff over and over because we are cycling in unforgiveness. But sometimes if we have both had an experience and one of us had it this way and one of us had it this way, we may need a moment to walk into the other's world and to, and to just really take a look at the decor, to take a look at what's on the walls there and say, okay, I get it. I understand what you went through, and I get that. It wasn't a seeking for apology. It wasn't a seeking for explanation. It was a need, a deep need, to have him walk into that room with me and understand what it had been like for me. So those are two things that I just want to encourage you tonight as tools. Sometimes bringing a yellow legal pad to the table during a conflict can be an actually very powerful thing. And also, I think sometimes if you find yourself having the same conversation, what would it mean to just take a moment 
and just try to see it through the other person's eyes and have that experience with them. Now, our conflict coach, who mm-hmm. gets to do it all the time, mm-hmm. you have far many more powerful things to say to us. Very powerful. <laughs> and I do get to do conflict a lot. Yes. Um, just at home. Uh, when Beth and I, <clears throat> we did the yellow legal pad, and um, when I read what she'd written, she just said, Jimmy, you're a fat, whoa, simmer down. I don't think that's the point of the yellow legal pad, honey. Um, okay. Some of this is going to be repetitive, but repetition is the greatest form of learning. So the first thing I want to look at is three things that absolutely cannot be present during a conflict. These are red flags, smoke signals, flares being shot in the dead of night. If these things are present, then whatever discussion conflict you're having is going to go south in a big hurry, okay? So the first thing, and I mean, and this is by order of priority, the very first thing that cannot be present is what? Adrenaline. Adrenaline cannot be present. Now then, you're all looking at me the way a calf looks at a new gate. (laughs) Without comprehension. How can you have conflict without adrenaline? And we know that adrenaline is the fight or flight hormone. Um, And it's critical, real quickly, and again, some of you that's been with you, you know this is one of my pet peeves. That it's something that's really critical. But the rule of thumb, generally speaking, is that adrenaline trumps serotonin. So when the adrenaline is coursing out, the serotonin's being sucked in. Which is why, when we're really angry, for example, someone's brain actually says to them, punch the wall. Yeah. That's my best option right now. I'm going to punch the wall. And on the way to the ER, you're going, what was I thinking? Well, that's the thing. You weren't thinking. You literally weren't thinking correctly. When we're really angry, we say the things that we later regret. We do the things that we later regret. Because when the adrenaline is coursing out, some issue may be like this, But our brains are telling us it's like this because we're thinking with adrenaline, not with serotonin. So many of you guys were raised from your childhood that when conflict occurs, it's get over here right now. Did your parents ever go, get your butt over here right this second? (laughs) Uh, And then with James Kyle, of course, that's when you knew it was all over. Um, but we wanted, you know, your parents were, no, get over here. We're going to do this right now, young man. We had to handle this right then. And I guess we just grew up thinking, well, okay, that's just what you do. If you have conflict, you got to just dive right in there. And when the smoke clears, hopefully everyone's alive and the conflict has been settled. Mm. Mm. We learned that was wrong from Papa. That is not the way you handle Conflict. If adrenaline is involved, there is going to be a negative outcome. Which means, and again, y'all have heard me say this so much before, but your first response is your worst response. 
That's just generally true. Whatever the thing you feel like saying or doing is probably the very worst thing you could possibly say or do at that moment. But why is it the wrong thing to say? Because you're not thinking with your neurotransmitters. You're thinking with your adrenaline. And so you've got to get adrenaline out of the room, which means instead of saying, get your butt, over, it's, get your butt out of here, we'll talk about this in two hours. But that's just not sexy. Uh, but that's absolutely the best thing you can possibly do is separate and go your separate ways. Remember, we've talked about this a lot, S-T-O-P. Remember that little acrostic? S is stop and walk away. P, uh, excuse me, S is stop and walk away. T is think of your O, your best option. And then P is pray and proceed with your best option. But the very first thing, when Grandma said count to 10, she was right. Uh, but we, most of us need a lot more than 10. Uh, we need a couple hours. But, but like within 15 minutes, have you ever been so angry that in your mind you were plotting exactly what would go on the divorce decree and, and what you would call them in front of the children? Uh, and then within 30 minutes, it's all gone. What you were going to say, how you were going to say it, it's gone. Because all that was was adrenaline. And when that metabolizes out, the best thing is just walk out of the room, go and just lay down somewhere and stare at a ceiling fan. And in, a, in 15 minutes or so, the adrenaline is going to metabolize out of your system. And things are going to go much, much, much better after that. So the first thing is, is remove. That's not the right button at all. Okay. Uh, number two is, thing that cannot be present is seeing your spouse as the enemy. And I know you're saying you don't know what I live with. This person is the enemy. They're Beelzebub in human form. <laughs> but Paul said this in Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world. So Paul tells us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against our spouse. Our spouse is not the enemy to be vanquished. When we say, boy, you just know my wife, she knows what buttons to push. No, actually, Satan knows what buttons you need pushing. And anytime someone tells me that someone pushed my buttons, all that means is you have buttons to push. That's not a good thing. <laughs> that, says, that tells me more about you than it tells me whoever was doing the pushing. So we have to keep in mind that our spouse is not, never will be, the enemy. And yet when we get into, when we tie it on, absolutely we see each other that way. And when we see each other that way, then Satan's just in the back just dancing a jig because he succeeded. That's what he does. I mean, he, he's the father of lies. 
When he speaks lies, he's speaking his native language. He's the deceiver with a capital D. That's what he does. And when he can get us viewing each other as each other's enemy, you want to talk about sleight of hand. We just can't buy the lie. I'm going to tell y'all a story that most of you know. How many of you have heard me tell you the story of when I gun fought at Six Flags? And Mr. Wizard? Only about 12 Seriously? Months. I know. <laughs> I've told this several times, but it fits, so I keep talking. So I was a gunfighter at Six Flags when I was going to, to seminary. If you were at Six Flags in the mid-80s, I signed something of yours. And so I walked down in the hole one day, and they were uh, talking I was like, what are y'all doing? And they kind of looked at each other and they said, well, we're talking to Mr. Wizard. And, you know, the whole thing, oh, well, who is he? What is he? Well, he's able to read, read your mind over the phone. I'm going, oh, you know, that's stupid. And this whole thing went on and they kind of looked at each other and they went, okay, we'll go ahead and tell you. Uh, we'll show you. So um, think of a card. And I said, okay. And I said, now tell us so you don't renege. And so I said, okay, it's a four of clubs. And... Then they called this guy up and they said, hello, Mr. Wizard. Yeah, I'll wait. He's at work. They had to go get him. <laughs> yes, Mr. Wizard. I got a guy here. Would you do your thing? And he hands me the phone. So I said, hello, Mr. Wizard. And he said, are you thinking of a card? I said, I'm thinking of a card. Uh, well, think harder. I'm thinking harder. And he says, well, it's definitely, um, it's not red. It's a black. I'm really getting more curved, so I'm thinking it's a club, but it's definitely not a face card. It's a, it's, a, it's a lower club. You're thinking of the four clubs. Well, I renounced my faith in Christ <laughs> because I had seen magic for real. This was, this was a game changer in my life because there was nothing. There was no way possible he could have known this there was no there was no hint, no code, nothing. I had seen a miracle before my very eyes. And as I'm going on, very similar to that, they are purple, crying, snot coming up, just laughing. They can't catch their breath. And they said, okay, we got to tell him. We just got to tell him. This is stupid. We got to tell him. So they showed me how it works. Because apparently they made a lot of money in bars doing this. And they figured as a, a Southern Baptist preacher in waiting, I was not going to horn in on their business. <laughs> so you call somebody, I'm going to call you. And anytime I say, can I speak to Mr. Wizard, you know I have a patsy. Mm -hmm. So when I say, can I speak to Mr. Wizard, you automatically say diamonds, hearts, clubs, yeah, I'll wait. He's at work. They had to go get him. Mm -hmm. So she stopped me on clubs. Or I stopped her on clubs. And then she just says, King, queen, jack, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4. Yeah, Mr. Wizard, I got a guy here. Would you do your thing? And knows it's the four clubs. <laughs> I made so much money at seminary. You have no <laughs> earthly idea. I apparently was not the only extraordinarily gullible preacher uh, that was there. Uh, but it helped us with the kids' college fund. <laughs> But the, the thing is, just like you know, the old fox used to do with uh, magic tricks revealed, once you see how the trick is done, as soon as they told me how it worked, it was like, well, that's stupid. That's stupid. 
Anyone can do that. It's not that stupid. Once you know how the trick is done, you're not as liable to fall for it. The next time someone says, can I speak to Mr. Wizard, I'll put a lot of money on it and then renege. I, I wouldn't fall for it again because I know how it works. If we know that Satan's intent is to make us think that we're the enemy, if we know that's what he's attempting to do, why do we fall for it every stinking time? Why can't we see it for what it is? A deception from the deceiver. A lie from the father of lies. We're not the enemy. The enemy is the principalities and powers of this present darkness. So the second thing is... Um, it's the third thing. I was going to repeat it, but now no. Okay. <laughs> the third thing that cannot be present is the attack-defend spiral of doom. And most of us know that when we get into an argument, it almost instantaneously goes to, no, I didn't, yes, you did, no, I didn't, yes, you did, you're a boo-boo head, well, you're a butt. No, you're, it's just attack-defend, 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 attack-defend. Whatever it is that we were arguing about just goes away because it's attack-defend, attack-defend. And we're so big, and then they'll say something else. Uh-huh, yeah, and you're fat. Well, you, and then here we go. And we just attack, the, and it just goes off. And Because have you ever had arguments where you just yell till you can't yell anymore, and then you walk away, and absolutely nothing was accomplished. Nothing was accomplished. It's because all we did was attack them and defend ourselves. And the only thing we were listening for was for them to take a breath so we can dive in telling them how wrong they are and then defend them when they say I'm wrong. And we'll, and we'll see how we can avoid that. But when someone feels as though they're attacked, and I hear this all the time, when you said that, I felt attacked. Um, which sort of leads us to three things that must be present in, 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 if conflict is gonna be resolved. Here's something that has to be present. Now, keep in mind, none of these three things can take place if adrenaline's in the room. So let's just chalk them off the board. If adrenaline is in the room, none of these things, these three things will be able to happen. But the first one is a desire for reconciliation. That's the first thing. And you may be saying, boy, I paid a price of admission to hear that. To solve conflict, you have to have a spirit of reconciliation. Well, gee, thanks. Oh, sorry. So, but it's not as far-fetched as you would think. Because if we are in this conflict to win the conflict, if we're in it simply to vent our frustrations, if we're in it just because we're so mad, I got to let off steam somewhere, then we don't have a desire for reconciliation. This is not what this discussion's about. This discussion isn't about reconciling whatever this issue is. It's about venting anger, venting frustration, winning an argument. So see, having a desire for reconciliation isn't that, uh, oh, duh, kind of a moment. Because I would say most of the time we get into arguments, we don't have a desire for reconciliation. We have a desire to win, 
We have a desire to argue the other one into the dirt. But we don't have a desire to reconcile. So anytime we have conflict, the first thing is, do we want to reconcile this issue? Because in 2 Corinthians, Paul says that he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And we always think about that in terms of reconciling a lost world to Christ, which is kind of the, the context of the verse. Uh, but it goes beyond that. It talks about it, it should include our spouses and our children. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. And then he says this. He says that we're Christ's ambassadors and we're speaking as though Christ were there speaking himself. Have you ever thought of that? When you're in a knockdown drag out with your wife or your husband, that you're Christ's representative in that place as though Jesus were speaking through you. <laughs> that would be a really good skit, actually. <laughs> you see in the beard and there, yeah, well, you're a... Um, probably we're not reflecting the spirit of Christ in those moments. And yet that's what Paul, we are Christ's ambassadors. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. So when there's an argument, we got to say, okay, we have a difference of opinion. And remember what it said last time? We have to let each other have a difference of opinion. We have to. You can't say my opinion trumps yours. Therefore, you're wrong. And most of the world's population would agree with me. You can't do that. We have to let each other have differences of opinion. But when it comes to conflict, we have to desire for this to reconcile. And again, that can't happen if adrenaline is in the room. Just won't happen. And then next, number two, you have to have a soft startup. This is Gottman, uh, John Gottman, the, the marriage clinic in Seattle that these conflicts have to begin with a soft startup because most arguments, most conflicts begin with you brain-dead moron. How in the world, whatever. Or even if it's a little softer than that, even if here's something that's not comical, this is probably how 90% of our conflicts begin. I can't believe you blank. Now think about that. You don't think that that's a very harsh startup. But think about it. I can't believe that you stayed out, blah, 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 blah. What you're saying is what you did was so completely crazy that I can't conceive of a rational, sane human being making that choice. Are you a moron? Because I can't believe it. Well, if, as soon as you say you can't believe it, you're saying you're an idiot for making that choice. Well, what am I going to do? I'm not an idiot. I'm a semi-rational human being. I think I made the choice most people would make. Therefore, you're the moron. And then here we go. <laughs> so we have to have a soft startup. When we're gonna, it just can't begin with I can't believe or here we go again or how many times. Because as soon as you do that, I'm immediately on the defensive. You attacked, and I'll defend. And as soon as you stop attacking just that long, I'll attack you so you can now defend. <laughs> and that's how that whole process 
just goes on and on and on and on. And people just say, we fight all the time. We never accomplish anything. So um, a soft startup. Number three is seeking common ground. In most of our conflicts, part of a soft startup and part of being able to reconcile is try to find areas of agreement. No, I get that. No, I agree with you on that. No, yes. No, I agree with you. But what I'm saying is here. So I can agree with A, B, and C, but let's just talk about D for a second. As opposed to just, uh, to, you know, you're an imbecile for even bringing it up. Instead of that, you want to say, no, I get what you're saying. Because that's, again, that's validation. And validation is a wonderful tool. Validation is not agreement. Validation is, I get where you could come from. Another sane person could come to the same conclusion you came to should they have been hit in the head recently. (laughs) So to be able to, to validate someone is to say, no, I get it. I understand how you could feel that way. However, because again, validation is not agreeing with somebody. Um, And then one thing really quick, a quick word about keeping record of wrongs. So often when we argue, we bring up what happened in 1963. And then we say how you did the same thing in 75. And then of course, here you are again in 2015. When will it end? We bring up past wrongs and we use them as a weapon into whatever the the present situation is. And I tell this, I talk with people about this all the time. To forgive someone is not to say you forgive someone. You know you've forgiven someone when whatever you're forgiving them of, you don't bring it up in the present anymore. Now, now we're just dealing with what's going on in the present. Here's the thing, and most of y'all know this. If you haven't done, and we probably need to do that again at some point, the um, Thomas, the sacred marriage. It's been several years since we've done that. But he says, the byline of the book of the sacred marriage is maybe marriage is more about our holiness than our happiness. Come on, that's good stuff. And he says, you know, maybe God's intention was for us to have conflict in marriage, which is why conflict should not be run from and avoided. Maybe God intended for us to have that conflict so that we could learn grace and that through that conflict we could learn forgiveness. Because we can forgive a lost and dying world. Forgiving our spouse, that's a little more difficult to do. But when we think about the parable of the unmerciful servant, that he goes in, he owes a billion dollars, and he says, please, 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 I'll pay it back, please. And the master goes, my, I'm just going to forgive you. I'm just going to cancel the debt. Not only am I going to give you more time to pay it back, I'm going to cancel it. You don't even owe me the billion dollars anymore. And he runs, skipping from the place, so thankful and wonderful, sees a guy that owes him $10, has him strangled and thrown into prison until he pays back the $10. And the master 
calls the servant back in. And again, this idea being the master's being God and, and we're being his servants, we're talking about believers. When he said, you wicked servant. And no other time has God been calling his servants wicked. You wicked servant. I forgive you a billion bucks and you will not forgive someone $10? Have him thrown into jail till he pays back everything. That parable haunts me. Anytime I feel angry at Beth or I think I've been done wrong by Beth and I harbor unforgiveness, and y'all know I'm a very visual guy and so I do. I, 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 there will be times I will close my eyes and envision myself standing at the foot of the cross telling Jesus how unfair it is and what she did and I can't believe it and I shouldn't have to live this way. And oh, excuse me. That's a little blood, sorry. Well, no, you got to understand, you don't, you don't get where I'm going. If we're going to take Jesus' death on the cross and we're going to wallow and relish in that kind of forgiveness and then we will not turn around and forgive our spouse for whatever... then we are wicked servants. How dare we? Our offering forgiveness to our spouse and to our kids and our family members and whomever, that is not a suggestion. That is not a helpful hint from Heloise on how to live your Christian life better. It is mandatory. In fact, at the end of the model prayer, uh, glory, amen. Then he goes right into saying, if you forgive those that have offended you, then your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not, then your heavenly father will not forgive you. Have you ever read on to read that? You want to talk about, there's several passages in the Bible that sort of cause me to pucker. And that's one of them as well. That I'm going to be forgiven to the extent that I forgive other people. Hello. So, when we think about holding grudges, let us always think about the command that has been given to us to forgive, much less our spouses. And you know what? As we talked about when we did the study on forgiveness you know, a few months ago, it's not whether your spouse deserves to be forgiven, even wants to be forgiven. Because forgiveness is something that's between you and God, has nothing to do with the other person. If they deserved your forgiveness, then it wouldn't be forgiveness. The whole point of forgiveness is that the person doesn't deserve the forgiveness. So, you've got some stuff on the table? Well, unpack for us oh. what you think that a layer, a level of conflict is, that it's, it's slipping beyond the grasp of what a couple can really manage themselves. So, for example, Mike grew up in a home where his parents never argued in front of the kids, ever. Mike never, ever saw conflict between his parents. It wasn't that it wasn't there. They chose not to ever show it mm -hmm. in front of the kids. I came from a home where um, things were a bit more vocal or loudly silent. Mm -hmm. And so I was very aware that my parents had conflict, and I observed it up close. When Mike and I 
began our courtship and married, trying to find what the level of conflict was that was actually healthy and reasonable for two people with different opinions and different ways of looking at things and, and needing to work out some communication versus what each of us thought was a healthy level. We're two wildly different ends of the scale based on our families of origin. So what are just sort of some little thumbnail moments that you have where you go, well, this is, this is manageable and normal conflict. Okay, now we've tipped over into something that really is going to require a coach to get involved. Um, I would say the vast majority is normal conflict. The vast majority. Um, because things that we argue about, remember, we don't argue about little things. We argue about big things. But it's the little things that represent the big things. So most of the things we argue about are are real, and this is where, guys, we tend to, I can't believe it, it's just a sock on the floor, come on. We want to we we not listen to what's in between the lines. I can't believe you're making such a big deal, I'll mow the lawn this afternoon. We're not hearing what the true beef is, where the true resentment is residing. So we have, to, we have to listen. There are things that are, but I think conflict can fall into a couple of categories. That just pet peeves, kind of picadillos, things that irritate us, irritants, and deal breakers. There are conflicts that are over deal breakers. Get mad. And so I shove you into the refrigerator. Okay, this is a deal breaker. Therefore, we either work this out, I'll strike that. If someone gets shoved into a refrigerator, we need a third party in the room if we've gone there. So, I mean, you need to understand, you know, try to discern what kind of a conflict is this. Is this just an irritant? And again, I don't say that in, in a, to minimize. Irritants can be ginormous. I'm told chewing ice is in some way some huge deal. <laughs> I don't get it, but I've been told it's a huge deal. So I don't want to minimize by calling it an irritant, but that's what it is. It's just irritating within the relationship. And all of us have things that we do that irritate our partner. And so those, we need to be able, now trust me, I'll take your money. But we should be able to talk that through. But when it gets to something that is a deal breaker, um, that's another issue. I want to take a job in St. Louis, but I'll come home on the holidays. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's back up. That may be a conflict that requires a third party. Under the adrenaline idea that adrenaline cannot be part of any kind of healthy conflict resolution, I have seen and experienced people who really could almost use that to say, well, I'm going to get adrenaline out of the room, and then they just go to avoid. Yes. Or you have someone who's so imprinted the process of conflict with adrenaline, they really don't know how to manage yes. anger whatsoever. So speak to those two ends of the deal. Somebody who uses that kind of idea, that kind of tool to go, oh, well, I've just got to go cool down, and they never circle back. Yeah, all the which way is the danger. Somebody who really doesn't have a skill set for releasing yeah. adrenaline and always just stays pegged out. The, the danger in in taking a step back, waiting an hour or whatever. But the idea between doing something like STOP is that we are all, we all know what we mean by that. And I, I tell people, come up with some, an, an awkward phrase, like I am calling a stop to this. 
You wouldn't necessarily use a phrase like that. You might say, stop it, or let's stop, or we got to stop, but I'm calling a stop to this. If I use that sentence, you know what I mean, I know what I mean, the S-T-O-P is now in full effect. And we know if either one of us ever says that sentence, I'm calling a stop to this, we stop, we walk off, knowing that within one hour we have to come back. You have to. And even though you're going, well, we're not screaming at each other, the last thing I want to do is walk back in there and bring it up. Because this silence has been so great. <laughs> but you have to. You have to. Because on, 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 on Chapman's anger ladder, the best way to handle anger is to discuss your options and mediate it. That's the best way. All the way down to screaming and yelling and throwing and breaking things. And right under that is passive aggressive, which is avoidance. Avoidance is the worst way to handle anger. And again, that tends to be how guys handle anger. In our brains, we go, this isn't worth it, so we just shut it down and we walk off. And now we know that is the absolute worst way to handle it. So um, you really have to fight avoidance because it's hard to come back because everyone loves it when it's quiet and we're not screaming at each other. And here we go. We're going we're gonna to open this thing up again? And the answer is yes, you open it again. Come hell or high water, you have this conversation. You have to. And then the other, uh, it, it's, it's literally, but I've seen people do it in parenting. They also, we can't discipline without anger. To, to most of us, we were raised where all discipline was anger. And I have to, I have to show you that I'm mad. Or you don't get how important this is. This was a, this was a four vein in the forehead event that just took place here. Look, I'm, I'm this shade of purple and puce. You understand how, and we don't have to have anger in the discipline process. In fact, you want to aim to be dispassionate in the discipline process. So it's not, I'm angry at you, that's why you're being punished. It's you knowingly did something that was knowingly wrong and you're going to pay the price. No harm, no foul, nothing personal, just business. But it doesn't have to be anger. And it's the same with settling conflict, that you want to shoot for reconciliation. Instead of thinking I'm going to go have an argument, think of it in terms of I've, we're going to go and we're going to reconcile this. Okay, good. Then let's reconcile this. Well, then venting and cursing, hmm, I don't, I don't read, maybe that's in Philemon, maybe, but I don't see how that's a part of the, the reconciliation process. Now, see, that would be an argument. That would be an anger outburst. That doesn't need to be a part of the reconciliation. So let's just try to reconcile. And if you look at it in those terms and practice, and there's another thing, and I tell people, if any of you, and I will not ask for a show of hands, but if you've got a screamer, then when they scream, you leave. You just walk out the door. Pretty soon, it's, it's, again, it's drawing boundaries. They know if they want to have a conversation, they're going to have to not yell. It amazes me where people will say, well, he just screamed at me for like 10 minutes on the phone. Really? <laughs> About the first you, I mean, you just, 
The next thing they hear is a dial tone. Pretty soon they'll learn that if they're going to yell at you, the conversation doesn't occur. And so eventually we learn to do this a different way. Um, but sometimes, you know, especially if you've got someone that has sort of an out-of-control temper, sometimes it does take a little more concerted effort maybe with a third party. But the, I tell my anger management people, first off, I hate the term anger management because instead of learning how to manage your anger, I don't know, how about just not getting angry? I hate the idea of a punching bag. To me, that's very close to what's called secondary violence where you're... You know, when someone throws a cell phone or they break a dish, that's, that's considered secondary violence, uh, which is that far away from them throwing the dish at your face. Uh, so it's, it's a demonstration of my power, what I could do to you if, if properly motivated. So I hate the idea of a punching bag or anything like that. To me, that's just extremely unhealthy. The idea is reframe the way you look at it so you don't get angry. Do you have just a couple of seconds? There's a, because I don't want to keep you all, but there's a thing, uh, a guy named Ellis with Rational Emotive Therapy. He came up with the ABCs. And the A is the activating event. And the C is the consequence of the activating event. So someone may say, <clears throat> well, I'm screaming and yelling because you didn't have dinner on time. So if asked, why are you screaming and yelling? Because she didn't have dinner on time. That was the activating event that caused this consequence. But what we know is A's never cause C's, ever. Because if they caused C's, then all husbands whose wives didn't get dinner done on time across all time and all cultures would respond with screaming and yelling. And that's not true. You could have 100 guys and maybe 90% 90, 90 of those 100 guys would not respond with screaming and yelling. Some of them would say, sweetie, go sit down. You've had a long day and cook the dinner themselves. Others would say, could I help? Others would say, holler, I'll be in front of the TV. But they wouldn't yell and scream. So A's don't cause C's. B's cause C's. Your belief about the activating event that's what causes the consequence. Because again, 90 of those other guys would have the exact same scenario occur. Wife doesn't have dinner ready. He wanted dinner to be ready, but it's not ready. But their brains told them something different. It did not respond in rage. And we can learn to reframe, because y'all have seen it. Y'all have seen people in situations that might have ticked you off or ticked your spouse off. And you see other people just kind of giggle about it and go on. It's not that they've learned to manage their anger. It's don't sweat the small stuff, and it's all small stuff. And the truth is, it's pretty much all small stuff until the deceiver convinces us otherwise. We all have questions on your table discussing your groups. If you're at a table of only two or you know, maybe four, if you guys want to circle up, and you have some questions there about family of origin, what those fights used to look like, what, how conflict was handled there. If you're more of a lover or a fighter, if you tend to avoid or you tend to jump in, so take a look at those questions and discuss those at your table. And Layla has to answer. Layla has to answer. She sure does. She's, she's busy. Yeah. This is really our main pool. Yeah.